As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be reading a a number of Scripture passages this morning, but we're going to kind of conclude in Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you on the floor. Uh, And this morning's passage will be on the screen, also on page 866 of the Pew Bible. So, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Enough coffee? We ready to roll? All right. Um, This morning, we're going to start a new series called Pathways, the Art and Practice of Following Jesus, where over the next couple of months, we're going to uh, dive into what does it actually look like for us to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of our lives? How do we grow in relationship with him? How do we begin to do some of the things that he's actually called us to do? And to set the stage, I have an oldie but a goodie commercial for us to view. Reactor 3 is at critical mass. Core temperature still rising. You're going to have to provide more cooling in the containment chamber. Okay. Close the flow channels. Activate the hydrogen recombiners. Do it. Actually, I'm with the tour group, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Stay smart. Stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Um, honestly, like, that's the first thing I thought of when I thought about discipleship, right? I mean, uh, most of the time inside the church, we try to look the part, you know? Maybe if we act like we know what we're doing, maybe nobody will notice the difference, right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's what discipleship is like, um, But there is also, there's a little bit of a disconnect when we talk about discipleship because there's the things that we actually read in the New Testament. We see the works of Jesus and how people followed him and the difference that that made. And we look really around the globe at what Christianity is doing and how it's spreading and we wonder, is there something wrong? And so over the next several months, we're going to take a very slow and intentional look at what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? How do we actually grow in relationship with him? How, what would it look like for us collectively as a people um, not to just talk about Jesus, but to actually be led by him, to be fed by him, to be cared for by him, um, and then as a result of being with him, to actually start to reflect him um, in the relationships that we have. So um, where it's not just like a Sunday thing, where it's not just a Wednesday night kind of thing, but in the everyday stuff of life, in our relationships, in the workplace, whether you're on campus, like to actually begin to reflect the character and the um, worth of Jesus in the stuff that we do. That's some of the things that we're going to look like. And then we're, we're actually going to talk about how do we begin to do the things that Jesus actually did. How do we pray for the sick? How do we feed the hungry? How do we care for the poor? We're going to long for and we're going to pray for Jesus to continue to do and act all of the things that he did in the scriptures. And we want to see that. What a difference that would make not just in this room, but what a difference that would make for us in our city. And uh, I want to begin with a quote from Dallas Willard. It's from a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And I think this will begin to get at the disconnect that many of us feel as it relates to discipleship. He says, my central claim 
is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his Father. Who doesn't want to live like that? What activities did Jesus practice? Such things as solitude and silence, prayer, simple and sacrificial living, intense study and meditation upon God's Word and God's ways, and service to others. Some of these will certainly be even more necessary to us than they were to to Him because of the greater or different need. But in a balanced life of such activities, we will be constantly enlivened by the kingdom not of this world, the kingdom of truth. So this morning, we're going to look at a big picture of what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? What is a definition of discipleship that we can hang our hats on? How do we begin to listen to Him and be shaped by Him and become cared for by Him as a church, both individually and together corporately? So we're going to look at three stanzas of scriptures. I'm going to read the first two, and then I'm going to invite you to stand as we look at Luke chapter 9. I'm going to begin with Mark 3. It should be on the screen for you. Mark 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he sent them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. And he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. If you are able, would you stand with me as we read this passage from God's Word? And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And this is the verse. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, reading your word both encourages us and invites us into just walking into your ways. 
the words that we read on a page seem so foreign to us with the constant activity of our lives and the busyness it's so easy for um, your voice and your way to be crowded out so I pray that in these moments your voice would be the loudest your word would be the thing that would produce fruit that you would help us to grow and to put our trust in Jesus I pray that the result is that we would know you in a accurate way, but I also pray that you would change the way that we walk, that we wouldn't just assume that we're following you, but we would hear your voice, and we would do the things that you've prepared for us in advance to actually do. To do that, we need you to send your word, to perform that word inside of us. We need your spirit to help us, to shine a spotlight on Jesus. We know we lack the wisdom and the insight and power to pull this off on our own, but we also have this confidence that you actually want to do this for us and through us more than we do. So we trust you as we step forward as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do a few things before we jump into the passages that we read. The first is uh, I want to give you just a little insight into why we are actually doing this series. Um, really has been over the last six months or so. Uh, as an elder team and just been kind of evaluating the discipleship culture that we have as a church and having many sincere conversations with you all, um, we just realized there's a real need to simplify and unify what we're doing as a church. Um, We want to make it simple. We want to make it accessible. um, And we actually all want to be on the same page, right? I mean, there's one thing for us to understand, and then there's another thing for us to actually all be on the same page and trying to accomplish the same thing. For us to be effective as a church, we actually need to be on um, the same page. And, and as we had many conversations with many of you, what we realized is um, there is a sincere desire to grow and to change and to follow Jesus. I mean, we throw out statements like, grace changes everything. Um, but I've had people come to me and say, honestly, like, not much is changing for me. So can you help? What does it look like to actually pray? Could you teach me how to pray? Can you teach me how to read scripture and not just have words, like, on a page? Can you teach me how to actually commune with Jesus? And so those are some of the things that we're going to look at over um, the next couple of months. And honestly, as we've had conversations with many of you, what, what has come to the forefront is almost a level of spiritual exhaustion that exists inside this room, where there is a state of almost constant activity where people are just making it throughout the week. And um, I don't believe this is a correction from the Lord. I believe this is an invitation to be able to come and to rest and to be able to experience Him in all of His fullness so that we can offer something different to our culture, that we can actually, with authenticity, reflect the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For our city to be able to experience rest and to get off of the performance treadmill and trying to do more and try harder and prove more, we're actually going to have to learn what does it mean for us as the people of God to enter into that kind of rest. So, um, to do that, when Jesus began to call his disciples to himself, one of the first things that he did was kind of undo some false teaching around discipleship. So the Sermon on the Mount, if you know in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 
there was this idea of what it meant to be blessed in that culture, and it's not much different than what it is here. It's to be wealthy, healthy, prosperous, and wise. Like, that's what the kind of culture that Jesus was speaking into. And Jesus kind of flips all of those things on its head and says, hey, I want you to know what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it's like to be blessed. Blessed are those that mourn because they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they see their needs, right? Jesus began to redefine what discipleship was. And I think before we actually look at what discipleship is, we have to look at what it isn't because um, for all of us, right, if you've grown up in a church anywhere, there are some prevailing thoughts about discipleship that are less than healthy. So let's look at some things that we need to unlearn before we can learn what discipleship actually is. And the first thing that we need to unlearn is that the gospel is more than a mere transaction. It's an invitation to an entirely new way to be human. Right? So, this idea of the gospel being a transaction really took place over the last 50 to 75 years in American Christianity, right? And this was a sincere attempt to produce converts, right? So the language of following Jesus was replaced by making a decision for Jesus, questions about where will you spend eternity. Um, Salvation is almost exclusively described in terms of of where you're going to go when you die, right? I mean, we all kind of grew up in that kind of environment. So actually, Christianity had very little to say about how you actually live. And so what we need to do, um, there was some good fruit out of this. I mean, people were genuinely meeting Jesus. I'm not here to talk about anybody's salvation experience, but what I am here to say is that what Jesus offers is a whole new way to live. It's a way to be human, the way that he's designed it to be. He's inviting us as a group of of people to actually follow him and to recover the way of walking with him that would reflect him to the world. So Christianity is about much more than where you go when you die. It's also about how that we live in such a way to make much of Jesus. And so this, this emphasis on making a decision for Jesus reduces the gospel to intellectual agreement about certain facts about Jesus. It's like, it's almost like choosing which car insurance you're going to use, right? I mean, it's, it's in case something really bad happens one day, right? And, and Jesus is so much more than that. Throughout the early church, what caused the spread of Christianity was not just this idea that you could be with God when you die, but actually God would be with you when you live. That people were sick and they were actually healed. People were without hope and they experienced hope and they experienced life. So that's a little bit of what we're wanting to recover as we look at discipleship. It's more than a mere transaction. It's a new way to be human second thing we need to unlearn before we learn what discipleship is, is a, discipleship is about becoming who we are, not shoring up who we are not, right? So this in the South is particularly powerful, right? I mean, we have, you know, th- this idea sometimes like you read a passage like Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and we read a list like that, and what do we instinctively do when we see a list like that? We say, well, 
I'm not very loving, and I'm not very patient, so I'm going to go and I'm going to memorize some verses about being loving or being patient. And we miss the whole context of Galatians 5, which is if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. So this is about a relationship. Most of the time, we think about discipleship as like a band-aid that we put on our ugly spots or makeup to cover up who we're not. But discipleship is coming into who God has already created you to be as a child of God. How do you walk as a son and a daughter? How do you walk as a saint and a holy one? How do you walk as someone who has received forgiveness? That makes a big difference about how you walk. God is calling us not to make us into something that we're not, but to already live into who he has called us to be. And so that's what we want to do um, as a church. This also flows from um, some superficial, uh, probably sincere desires to be true to what it means to be a disciple. So we just look at the word disciple. It contains the word discipline. And so what do we naturally think discipleship is about? It's about our discipline. It's about our self-effort. It's about changing ourselves. Now, there certainly is discipline involved, but it's very important where you locate that discipline, how you focus that discipline. Is it about you changing you, or is it about God changing you and meeting you? Also, the, the Greek word for disciple, when roughly translated to English, is learner. So, what do we do as Americans? We import our model of learning, and we say... Okay, so a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus. So we read all the books and we try to study as much as we can and as hard as we can. And we think it's just about acquiring information and knowledge instead of following in the way of Jesus. Walking in his footsteps. Listening to his voice. Allowing his words to shape us, right? It's not just about accomplishing some full knowledge of who we think he is, but it's actually having a relationship with him. The final thing that we need to unlearn to be healthy as we look at discipleship is that discipleship finds its strength and its application in community. Discipleship finds its strength and its application in community, right? So most of us, because we're Americans, our highest goal is our own individual happiness, right? So we devise our own discipleship plans. We'll take a little bit of a podcast over here, a little bit of church attendance over here, a little bit of Bible study over here, and bam, we're disciples of Jesus, right? But as you look at the New Testament, as you look at the followers of Jesus, what they did was they actually joined themselves to a community. As you look how this plays out on the pages of the New Testament, you see gospel partnerships that form among people where they share the deepest possible human relationships on the planet together. They begin to share life around who Jesus is, and they do that so that the gospel goes further in the world. Right? God is calling us into both of those things. So discipleship finds its strength and its application in community. Now, I'm not saying that um, 
you cannot supplement discipleship outside of the local church. But this is a way to evaluate whether your discipleship that you're receiving is actually helping or hurting your Christianity. Does it make me more passionate about using my gifts to serve inside the local church? Right? Does it make me more effective? Does it make me want to join my lives more to others? Or does it isolate me more from others? Right? That's a good question because the New Testament is this picture of a beautiful community that's coming together around who Jesus is. Listen to this quote from Mark Scanderet, Practicing the Way of Jesus. He says this, So many of us want to live in the way of Jesus, pursuing a life that is deeply soulful, connected to our real needs and good news to our world. Yet too often our methods of spiritual formation are individualistic, information-driven, or disconnected from the details of everyday life. We simply are not experiencing the kind of transformation that is historically expected, is the historically expected result of the Christ phenomenon. If Jesus of Nazareth demonstrated and taught a revolutionary way of love that is actually possible, alive with healing and hope, then we need a path for experiencing the revolution in the details of our lives. So we, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about distortions and what discipleship is not. So let's begin to build a path. What does God actually want from us as we look at discipleship? I think quite simply, the teaching of the New Testament as it pertains to discipleship is very simple. Two words, follow me right? Jesus, everyone that he called, he said, follow me. Now, I have to say, to my shame, oftentimes I ask Jesus to follow me, right? I go charging into my week. I'm going to do the things that I'm going to do, and I'm going to ask him to bless it. But what about if we actually slowed down our lives to the point that we could ask him, what do you actually want me to do today? Is there someone you want me to be a blessing to today? Is there something that you want to remind me of? That we begin to follow him instead of us asking him to follow and bless us. Um, Dallas Willard, he, he gives this definition of discipleship, and I think it's helpful. I hope it sticks with you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Right? So Jesus who is the hope of glory, who resides in us by the Spirit of Jesus, begins to mold us and shape us and lead us and guide us um, so that we actually begin to look like Jesus in the stuff of everyday life, right? So how would Jesus live his life if he were you? That's the stuff of discipleship. And the mode of discipleship that Jesus employed is apprenticeship, Right? So our Western way of thinking is that we're going to acquire all of this knowledge. We're going to do all of these studies. We're going to cross the T's and dot the I's, and we're going to memorize it, and we're going to talk about it. But the way of Jesus is actually the way of apprenticeship. So I, I don't know. Um, it's the difference between you know, how we do life in college, and we get a degree, and then we actually go to start to do the things. Or if you were learning from a master carpenter, right, there's going to come a time when you're watching this carpenter and he's like building a bench 
Then there's going to come a time where he asks you to pick up the hammer and maybe pass him the hammer. And then there's going to be this time where he actually allows you to start using the hammer. Well, that's kind of the mode of discipleship that Jesus used. We become apprentices. And, And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you do not know Jesus at this moment, if you just met Jesus this morning, or you have been following him for all of your life, um, none of us arrive as apprentices of Jesus. We can all grow in our apprenticeship of Jesus. What does it look like for us to follow him in the everyday stuff of our lives? So I want to give us three buckets or containers that kind of fill out our definition of discipleship that's taken from the three passages that we read this morning. The first is in Mark 3.14. We see Jesus calling his first 12 disciples to follow him. Why did he call them? Verse 14 says, And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So the first bucket of discipleship that we see in Scripture is being with Jesus. He called his disciples because he wanted them to be with him, to be in relationship with him, right? Not so that they would acquire theological knowledge, which is important. Not so that they could talk about him, so they could be with him. And almost every distortion of discipleship and every discouragement you will face in discipleship is because we forget that discipleship first and foremost is about being with Jesus, right? We try to do the works of Jesus without actually being with him. So this is an invitation for us as the people of God to slow down so that we might be with Jesus. He is the only source of life and hope. He is the only source of power and motivation to actually do the things that he's called us to do. We simply cannot do any of these things apart from being with him. So we're going to learn some pathways of how can we actually be with Jesus. We're going to learn to pray where we don't just talk at Jesus, where we begin to talk to him, and he actually has something to say to us. We're going to position ourselves as learners. The second bucket for discipleship is becoming like Jesus. Luke Chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Right? So we actually begin to look more like Jesus. There was a study in 2010 from the University of Michigan that married couples that have been married for 25 years begin to actually look like one another. Right? You become like who you spend time with. And that's a wonderful thing. As we begin to spend time with Jesus, as we look at him, 2 Corinthians 3 says that we're changed from one degree of glory to another as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So we've actually become like him as we look at him. The third handle for discipleship is doing the things that Jesus actually did. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. I'm going to look at verses 1, 2, and 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. 
And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So it's amazing that God's plan to change the world includes us. That we actually become the hands and the feet of Jesus. That we get to do the things that he actually did. Um, the, the book of Acts, it, it kind of starts this way. Luke wrote both volumes. He wrote Luke's gospel and he wrote the gospel, or he wrote the book of Acts. And he said that I wrote to Theophilus to tell you about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's the gospel of Luke. Well, the book of Acts is about the things that Jesus continues to do by his spirit through his people. Listen, as long as we have breath in our lungs, God's mission should be on our hearts and our lips, right? So he's inviting us to step into broken places and to begin to model and demonstrate the kingdom of God. So we want to see God actually visit us by the power of his Holy Spirit so that people are moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his Son, where we actually see um, people that are sick healed, right? We want to be those kinds of people because I see this go on all around the globe, right? And I, I think a primary reason that we do not experience that kind of power is simply because we do not sit at the feet of Jesus, right? God is eager to demonstrate the power of his kingdom, but it doesn't come to us by osmosis, right? It doesn't come to us by just sleeping on a pillow. It comes by us sitting at his feet, by listening, by asking to be filled with his spirit and to actually begin to step out and do the things that um, he did. Jesus said in John chapter 14, now I was so moved by this. This is not to frustrate us. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Right? So what Jesus is saying is that, that as the people of God collectively, because he has ascended on high and he's going to send the Holy Spirit into the world, that his works will be multiplied through his people from every corner of the globe to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel that we believe. That's the gospel that you, you may have forgotten that you were saved into, but it's a gospel that raises people from the dead, not just spiritually, but now we're asking that God would demonstrate that same power by moving in our city. So we want to recover the hope of the gospel that he actually has greater works for us to do um, than we can actually ask or imagine. So the, the problem so often happens when we try to become like Jesus without spending time with Jesus, right? It's almost like that week before Christmas when my kids um, are waiting anxiously and they don't want to get along well with their siblings, but they, they know that Christmas is around the corner. Or it's a little bit like if, if you have really small kids and you've ever tried to take them out into nature, that's pretty cool now. Like when I was a, like when I was a kid, like you just went to Sears and they pulled down this backdrop, you know, and you, you could be in the woods instantly. It could be snow, right? But now people actually want to take the kids out into the field, you know, but you know how hard it is to actually keep them clean when you do that, right? I mean, that's what it's like trying to become like Jesus without spending time with Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's an exercise in futility. And what we do is we portray to a, the world like a gospel of moralism, that it's just about behavior modification instead of what it says in the book of Acts is 
even though they were common, uneducated men, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What if that was said about us? I don't know everything that goes on, but I know that they have been with Jesus. Right? And yeah, then all of those other things, like we love because we have been loved. Right? We forgive because we've been forgiven. We stand together in unity and we work through problems, not because that's just what Christians do, but, but that's because who we are in and through Jesus. Right? So we want to try to become like Jesus by actually being with Jesus. And then, I mean, you've also seen that the opposite is true as well. I mean, if you try to do the works of Jesus without reflecting the character of Jesus, that doesn't go well, right? I mean, you just become like some angry picketer, right? Telling people all the things that they've done wrong, right? How winsome is that, right? I mean, for the works of Jesus to actually demonstrate the kingdom, it flows from being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. Not that we're perfect, but we reflect the aroma of Jesus. That's what he's inviting us into so that we're going to do that. So that's what we're going to look at over the next several months. What does it look like for us to be with Jesus? And make no assumptions about that, right? We're all in process. How do we be with him? How do we become like him? And how do we actually do the things that he does? So right now, our discipleship process is a two-tiered approach. Does anybody know what those are? I hope so. Sunday morning, right? And gospel community, right? So we have two big picture ways that we try to accomplish um, discipleship here at Fellowship. So both of those things have to go together, okay? It's like taking a trip to Paris, okay? So imagine we're all going to Paris next week, all right? Sunday morning would be like, I mean, a helpful thing if you've ever explored a city. It doesn't have to be Paris, um, never been there. Well, actually, I flew through there once. But anyway, if you were going to go to Paris, you would want to have some idea of the layout of the city, right? I mean, you would want to know, I want to go to this cafe along the river here, and I want to go to the Louvre over here, and I, I want to go to the Eiffel Tower over here, and I want to experience this restaurant over here. That's what Sunday morning is, right? It's the big overarching picture, right? So, um, but imagine, right, you go to Paris, and you take a bus tour, and you just drive around the edge of the city, and you see the whole city, and you get to see it, but you don't actually get out and see the sights, and you don't actually eat a meal, right? That's what it's like to come to Sunday morning and not have a way to taste and see how good these things are, right? So gospel community is supposed to be the place where you come in a smaller setting, and you use your gifts, and you begin to... um, taste the goodness of the Lord with some people that are walking very closely with you. You actually get out of the bus and you sit down in a cafe and you taste the bread um, and you learn (laughs) you're probably not as far along in following Jesus as you think you are, right? Because you're actually joined with other people and it's hard and it's messy. But, I mean, and, and believe it or not, we actually have people that go to gospel community that don't attend Sunday morning. So that would be like, um, if you are a part of a gospel community but you don't ever come on Sunday morning, that would mean like you flew into Paris and you just decided you were going to go to the Louvre, right? And you just did that one thing and you missed the rest of the city. 
Like, it would be a good experience, but you would miss a little bit of the bigness and the grandeur of the whole thing. So, gospel community goes with Sunday morning. They're both essential for us to be able to apply who we are as the people of God so that we can have gospel partnerships for the sake of gospel advance. Now, I don't want anyone to feel like you're not welcome here. Like, everyone is, if you are benefiting and you are receiving the gospel, so grateful. But what we believe our call is, as a church, is to actually make disciples and to actually push back darkness in our city, right? And to do that, we're going to have to join arms together. We're going to have to pray together. We're going to have to do things together. That's why we have that. But for those of you that are involved in the gospel community, like we also noticed that we needed a little bit more structure to help some of these things grow. There's some things that we hoped would happen organically that maybe need some miracle growth. So we're going to add a, a third tier to our discipleship experience. So now we're going to have Sunday mornings and we're going to have gospel community. And now we're going to use this very creative name, name that um, I had a crack team work on for the last six months called discipleship groups. All right? That's what we came up with. All right? So... Um, this is what it would look like if you would like to participate in all three tiers of discipleship here at Fellowship. So this is just a sample week. As we go throughout this series, this is what we're asking every gospel community to do, right? So the first week of the month, um, this is just a sample. It could be the second and the fourth. Everyone together inside your gospel community sits down together um, and you discuss one of the pathway sermons. Also, we have uh, a team of people um, and that team is Aaron King and Caroline Parsons and um, the other Aaron King. They're all working together to help us actually put into practice the things that we're learning on Sunday morning. So there's going to be discussions to be had. There's going to be three exercises that you do on your own, and you're going to be able to come together and apply that inside of a gospel community. The second week, you would meet in your discipleship groups. These are going to be groups of three to five people of the same gender, uh, hopefully to be able to work and discuss some of the exercises that you're working on throughout the week. Those will be gender-specific and hopefully flow out of the gospel communities, and then week three and four model those things as well. So we're going to talk more about those things as you get involved in your gospel community. If you have never been a part of a gospel community, there'll be some people at the Connect table to help you stand by. Um, We also, these exercises though, I mean, they're going to really press us how do we actually pray? How do we begin to commune with God more than just having words on a page? And there's going to be some exercises that help us slow down and read Scripture and understand. And if you're not able to be a part of a gospel community, we do not want to exclude you. So we have a slide that will say this is where everyone can go and get these exercises. Uh, Fellowship Jonesboro backslash pathways. And there's going to be, uh, they're there right now, the first week's exercises. So um, if you consider fellowship your home, what we're asking is that you would go and you would do these three exercises and that you would discuss them with people inside your gospel community so that you can grow. Um, I know that's a, that's a lot, but what we, what we really deep down believe is that Jesus is worth it and he actually knows the best way to live. And so we're going to just slow down and say, am I living and walking in a way that reflects who I am in the gospel? Am I actually receiving the life-giving breath of God as I receive 
um, a message from his word, you know? Or am I just going through the motions, right? This is an invitation for all of us to draw near. So I'm going to pray, and I invite you to pray for yourselves, pray for your gospel communities, uh, and then we'll celebrate communion together. Father, I pray right now that you would speak very specifically to every person in this room. I pray that there would, above all voices, that you would silence the voice of the accuser in condemnation, but I do pray that you would allow us to hear you inviting us into something deeper and more lasting. I do pray that you would instruct us in how to become disciples of Jesus. I pray that you would help us to be countercultural in the way that we use our time. I pray that you would help us to be countercultural in the way that we handle anxiety. I pray that you would help us to be countercultural um, in the way that we stand out for you. I pray that you would help us to not want to blend in. I do pray that you give us um, ears to hear and hands to serve. I pray for every gospel community that's represented, um, that you will do the, the soil work inside of each individual heart to want to simplify and unify what we're doing as a church. Father, I pray that you would allow us to grow doing the works that you've actually called us to do and that we actually would sense that greater things you've called us to do than even the things that you accomplished because we get to do them together. Father, I, I pray that you would now give us life-giving rest as we share in this meal together. In Jesus' name, amen.